have a youth announcement. I'm not sure which youth is doing the youth announcement. Oh, no. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Um, starting in October, every Sunday except the 30th, the youth will be selling Krispy Kreme donuts with coffee from 9 to 9.45 for accelerant donations only. I guess they were up here for emotional support. Y'all did a great job. Yeah, but you can bring it. So once again, that is every Sunday in October, except for the 30th, because uh, the 30th is Friends and Families Day. So y'all make sure that you go ahead and start spreading the word. We'll have those little invite cards coming out soon for you guys. But every Sunday in October, except for the last Sunday, the youth group will be selling donuts and coffee in the foyer. So that's pretty cool and exciting, right? Um, it's Krispy Kreme, so you can't pass that up. It's donations only, so... Thank you, everyone who participated in the movie night last night for the youth group fundraiser. We appreciate you guys. Um, I hope you guys had a great time with one another. Um, well, Holy Spirit, y'all, was wrecking me during worship because there's something I didn't know if I was going to share it with you guys or not. But Holy Spirit told me to edify you guys, which means to build up and to strengthen. Um, and so I'm going to share something that happened. It was the beginning of this week. Um, it was like 3 a.m. Ezra had woken up. I had finally gotten him back to sleep around 3 a.m. And as soon, as soon as I closed my eyes, my spiritual eyes were open. And it kind of scared the mess out of me because I'm not really one to get visions or anything. That's just, that doesn't happen to me. But as soon as I closed my eyes and fell asleep, it was like my spiritual eyes opened. I was like, what in the world? Where am I? And I start looking. I mean, I'm in an open field and it's beautiful. The sun's out and on the ground... I see a bunch of seed pods that are opened. And they have little purple, little purple flowers on them, like a royal purple color. And so I pick it up. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And the father said, y'all, I'm telling you, I had never had a vision where, where father talked to me. And I picked it up. Y'all, I hadn't even shared this with my wife because I didn't even know what it meant yet. And in worship, Holy Spirit revealed to me. And so I pick it up and it's open. And it's got these beautiful little purple flower on it. And they're everywhere in front of me. And I'm, so I'm like, what in the world is this? And the father said, those are seeds that have already been planted. And the purple flower, he said, as I am royal, my children are royal. And so what does that mean? That means we're joint heirs with Christ. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're royalty in his eyes. But this is the thing. He said, those are seeds that have already been planted. And my children are confused because they're trying to live off a harvest that's already been past due. Pause. What you planted, you've already reaped. You just didn't realize you reaped what you planted. You're trying to live off a harvest that has already come and gone. Holy Spirit is telling me it's time to start planting again. I need some of you to hear this. He's shifting you into a new season. It's time to start sowing again. And it's time to start sowing bountifully with a cheerful heart. I'm not even talking about money. Some of you have been doing the same thing for so long, waiting for something to happen. But what you planted, you already received. It's time to plant again. And I want you to know this. The father's not mad at you. He said, he said those seeds you planted were beautiful in his sight. I need you to hear this. You're not in trouble with Father, but he said it's time to put your hand to the plow again and get to work.
He has greater harvest for us as a people, as individuals, and it's time we start planting again. So I'm going to encourage you. You are being shifted into a new season, so it means your prayer life has got to shift. Stop praying for the same things you've been praying for for 30 years. He's already answered it. Keep going. The thing is, we've got to shift the way we see the Father. It's a new season. If you do the same thing you've always done, you're going to get the same outcome that you've always had. It's time we start planting again. The Holy Spirit said, edify the people because your seeds were beautiful. They were royal because he is royal, but it's time to start planting again. There's one more edification that Holy Spirit told me to give, and it's this. (laughs) Jesus sits on a throne, not a swivel chair. The Father sits on a throne. Jesus sits on a throne, not a swivel chair. What does that mean? You do not have to beg him to turn his face to you and bless you. His face cannot turn from you. He is always seated in position to face you. So while that prayer from number six is beautiful, let his face shine upon you. May it, that's a beautiful blessing. But in the new covenant, that is a reality. When you mess up, when you miss the mark, he does not turn his chair around and shun you. Scripture says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. This is why we talked about Hebrews 4 last week. It says run boldly to the throne of grace. His throne does not change. His throne is solidified for eternity. So next time you mess up and you think the Father hates you, you think you're distanced from the Father, always remember the Father does not sit on a swivel chair. He sits on the throne. Now some of y'all are going to get that and it's going to transform your life because next time you miss the mark, you won't feel like you have to start over. You'll receive grace and keep going forward. We got a bunch of dizzy Christians in the church thinking you always got to turn around and restart. And this is why we never get anywhere, because you forget that God has already forgiven you. Scripture tells us he is not counting your sins against you. In the new covenant, you miss the mark. You don't got to bow down and cry and weep and cry. You say, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. And now we move forward. This is the new covenant. Would you please pray with me before we get into the sermon for today? Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you live inside of us. (laughs) That we don't got to look up there, out there somewhere to find you, but now we sit in the quiet and we feel your presence inside of us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that we just grow in revelation of what it means to be the mobile temples of the Holy Spirit. That everywhere we go, we are now establishing the kingdom of God, even if just through a smile. That now everything we do can glorify your name. Everything we do is worship. Everything we do is worship. And so, Father, we just thank you. And, Father, I just pray that as we start this new series today, that you start to prepare hearts and minds as we walk in this thing called love. That we lay the groundwork for what it means to love like Jesus and love through Jesus' very spirit. Romans 5.5 tells us that through Holy Spirit, love is poured out into our hearts. So, Holy Spirit, in this season, I just pray you have your way that we start to plant new seeds for a new harvest. And we realize you don't turn your face from us, but your face and countenance are always toward to us. And love and blessing and favors are already poured out because we are your children. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Oh, no. Screen's not working. 
Um, well, we got one right here, guys, and yes, the PowerPoints are back, so I hope you guys are excited because every Sunday I was asked, yo, where's the PowerPoint at? So you know what? We got one. We're going to have one for the whole series, and I'm really excited about this. Um, for all of you who like to read or have a little bit of time to read, I would like to suggest a book, and this book is kind of what sparked this whole sermon series. It's called Irresistible by Andy Stanley. Irresistible by Andy Stanley. And by the way, if you go to the Bible outlet right by Target on Sunset, they have hardback copies for $5. And after I spent like $25, I then went to that store and found one for $5. So if you're interested, and she said they have a surplus in the back. So if you are near that area or you're planning on going maybe this next weekend, um, please stop by, get a book. Y'all, it's $5. It's worth the read. Um, I know a couple people in the church, I have majority of the council and staff reading this book right now, um, but it's transformative. It's called Irresistible by Andy Stanley. And so today, as we get into this new series, it's going to be called Love is a Verb. And so, y'all, we're going to do the hashtag again on social media. Y'all did a really good job sharing last week without me even asking. And so this week, we're going to start our hashtag again. So if you have your cell phone with you right now, or if you want to share right after church, um, on Facebook, just share the video. Are we live right now, Miss Cindy? We're live right now. So you guys could hop on the Facebook app. Um, go ahead, hashtag love is a verb and share that thing out. Because y'all, last time we did that, we had like 15 shares and it was like so many people watched the video um, more than ever before. So let's go ahead and hashtag love is a verb. And this is week one. I think we'll be about six weeks, um, six week series. And today's just called The Shift. And so this week and next week, we are laying a lot of groundwork for where we're going. It's called The Shift. And the thing about Jesus, the day and age Jesus was born into, even though it was over 2,000 years ago, is actually very similar to the day we live in today. People really don't change that much. The main thing that has changed is technology in the modern era. And so Jesus is born into a day that is very religious and also very secular, does that sound familiar? Very religious, but also very, very secular. And most people who practice religion were also very secular. Does this sound familiar? It was also a time of isolation and segregation. Does this sound familiar? So in Jesus' age, if you did not fit in a certain group, you were kicked to the outside. Does this sound familiar? Right? Council culture today, man, they'll get you. But the thing is, Jesus was born into a day very much like our own. And if you look at Jesus's ministry, his teachings were very specific. He was shifting, I need you to hear this, he was shifting our understanding and perspective on some very, very important topics, such as the Father. He said, I have come to reveal the Father. He comes and he reveals the kingdom. He shifts our understanding of love, grace, and mercy, and truth. So Jesus' teachings, if you actually look into them, they really revolve around these six things. The Father, the kingdom, love, grace, mercy, and truth. And so Jesus comes in and he really starts to teach so counterculturally on love. So Jesus sets out to shift our understanding of love. And he starts saying stuff like this. He says, if you are almost 
um, to the altar and you are about to sacrifice an animal for your sins and you remember that there's a brother or sister that has something against you. You've hurt them and you never apologize. Jesus says, put that offering down and go and make it right. This was unheard of to the Jews. Why? Because the Jews traveled to the temple about twice a year and they would travel for days to get there. So that, what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, leave your offering and then travel days back to apologize and then travel days back to do it again. So when Jesus says this, they're like, Jesus, you are crazy. What? What? I make this journey twice a year. You think I'm going to do extra just to go apologize to Joe Schmo over here? No, that was unheard of. Jesus says things like this. Forgive your neighbor and you will be forgiven. What do you mean? What does that have to do with anything? God forgives sin. Why do I got to ask my neighbor for forgiveness? That don't make any sense. Jesus says things like this. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And they're sitting like, what do you love my enemies? By the way, enemies was code for non-Jews. Pause. Jesus says, love your enemies. Other Jews were not your enemies. Other, other uh, Jews, they were yous. Yous were the enemies. I was the enemy. And so Jesus looks at them and he starts to shift something here. And he starts to shift and things start to trend from solely vertical to horizontal. So Jesus starts trending from solely vertical and understanding of we only worship God. It doesn't matter what I'm doing to you. As long as I follow the law, as long as I, quote unquote, love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, I'm okay. But to the Jews, what it meant to love God with all your mind, soul and strength was to follow the law to a T. It was to give the right sacrifices. It was go to the festivals. It was to make sure that you stayed away from certain things in your own personal life. I need you to understand the Jews' identity in religion was very self-centered. How do I stay clean from sin? Don't let me get near those who are in it because then it pollutes me. They're unclean. So Jesus comes in and he starts to shift their pure focus from vertical to horizontal. And so the Pharisees start taking notice of the things that Jesus is saying, and it starts to make them very uncomfortable. Let's turn to Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. I'm going to go ahead and read since it's up there. You can go ahead and write this down. This is Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. So Jesus just gets done refuting um, what, what some uh, other law keepers have asked him, and this is where it picks up. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. So what's happening? Jesus shut up the Sadducees because they asked him a ridiculous question that he then turned around and asked them a question they can answer. And so what did the Sadducees do? They stopped asking questions. They stopped. And so the Pharisees hear this, and what are they thinking? How can we get this Jesus? This Jesus knows his stuff, but how can we catch Jesus in the act of blasphemy? And so they come together, verse 35, and one of them, all right, y'all, this man's an expert in the law. It says, and one of them, an expert in the law, asks a question to him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Do you see how he says which command? What does that mean? Which singular command, what is that? Which one command is the most important. Which one is the greatest? And so Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, okay? So what is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. What is that? That's the Shema. That's from Deuteronomy, 
All right, this is what Moses taught them to pray every day. He says, he says, talk about this with your children. Take it to your dinner table. Go talk about it with your friends. All right, so to a Jew, this was the utmost thing. Y'all, they prayed this twice a day, okay, in the morning and at night. The Shema was held above all other things, okay? But then Jesus does something. Remember, they asked him for one command. <laughs> Verse 39. Jesus says, the second is like it. What? The second? What are you talking about the second? They didn't ask you for two. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Okay, pause. This is the first time in history these two commands have been put together in the same place. These are from two different books of the Bible, Shema, Deuteronomy, love your neighbor from Leviticus. And love your neighbor literally says love other Israelites. Ain't got nothing to do with nobody except those of your same ethnicity and nationality. And so Jesus, for the first time ever, just like Jesus loved to do, he starts bending the rules. <laughs> he starts altering their rules that they've been keeping for thousands of years. Now listen, I can change one thing of tradition in this church and y'all get squirmy. Imagine if that tradition had been lasting for thousands of years. All right, so let's start to understand why these Pharisees were a little bit ticked off. You know, they devoted their whole lives to this thing. But the fact that matters, Jesus says, and the second is like it. Is like it literally means this. It's the same in magnitude and significance. Y'all better write this down because we, we need to shift our understanding today. Jesus wants to shift our understanding. Love the Lord God with all your soul, mind, heart, body. Love him. Love him. Yes, Lord God. But Jesus says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like it literally means same magnificence and significance. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is shifting their focus from solely on God now to a missional standpoint. It's no longer just about religious duties. It's no longer just about religious rituals. It really, really matters how you treat the people around you. I need you to hear this, Christians, because sometimes we in the Christian church cop out of actually loving people by doing religious duties. Oh, I'll do my devotional, but it doesn't matter how I treat that person at work. I'll read five chapters today, but oh, I can scream at my family whenever I feel like it. Hmm, let's hear this now. Jesus came to shift our understanding of love from solely vertical, trending horizontal, listen, out of an overflow of the vertical. I'm going to say it one more time for y'all because some of y'all say I talk too fast, and I do. I'm from Charleston. I can't help it, okay? Jesus came to shift our understanding of love from solely vertical, trending horizontal, out of an overflow of the vertical. Verse 40, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Pause again. You understand they had 613 laws, a.k.a. commands, Jesus said, you are wasting your time with 611 of them. Do you imagine what type of slap in, this, in the face that would be to a Pharisee and a Sadducee? Jesus said, if you do these two really well, if you focus truly not on trying to earn favor or blessings from God, but if you truly get into his presence and love him, guess what? You're already on the right path because out of that love, you cannot harm a neighbor. Why? Because your father does not harm your neighbors. Neither will you if you get into his presence and experience his heart. So Jesus says, first off, you better get in his presence and understand who the father is. Yeah. 
through understanding who the father is, then all those laws about not harming your neighbor, you don't even got to focus on them. Why? Because out of the overflow of love for him, you won't harm them. Jesus' point was unmistakable. Love for God was best demonstrated and authenticated by loving those around us. I need you to hear this. Some of y'all better start writing. Y'all got y'all's notepads out, but y'all need to understand that we've got to shift our focus from this whole super mega religious mindset to being active in our faith. Jesus' point was unmistakable. Your faith is demonstrated and authenticated by the way you love those around you. I have seen some real pious people who followed some great things in the church. They knew their whole Bible. They could pray better than anybody had ever seen. But I saw the way they talked to their children. I don't care how well you can talk with a microphone. I don't care how well you can show face in church. The best way that your love for God is demonstrated and authenticated is by the way you love those around you. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say this, y'all, because this is a mindset. This is a shift Jesus came to break. He didn't just shift it 2,000 years ago. He wants to shift it in the church today. We have sat for too long just copping out with religious duties. It's time we start loving people. So you want to show your love for God? Love those around you. Those who are nothing like you. Those who look nothing like you, pause, and those who believe nothing that you do. Jesus was saying this. He's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he says this. Don't claim adherence to command number one if you're not living command number two. So what is Jesus saying? You don't actually follow the first command. Why, y'all? Because the Pharisees were cheating people out of a bunch of money in the temples. They weren't even following the law themselves. They were stealing people's sacrifice and cooking the best part of the steaks for themselves. So Jesus looks at them. He says, oh, you're so pious, are you? Oh, you love God, do you? When was the last time you loved the person beside you? So for us today... Let's not claim the Shema, loving the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and body, and then go to the restaurant and yell at the little waitress who's not fast enough for us. And you know what? Let's take it a little bit deeper. Let's tip her really well, too, despite her performance. Why? Because last time you misperformed, God didn't take his love from you, nor did he turn his face from you. When Jesus says this about command number two, when he says, love your neighbor, a Jew's whole concept of neighbor was another Jew. Not Gentiles. Gentiles weren't welcome here, right? They're not like us. They're not the chosen people of God. They don't have the blessings of God. They don't have the covenant of God. But Jesus came to redefine what neighbor is. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Y'all having fun yet? We have, we have a good time. Luke 10, 25 through 37. Told you I was excited for this series. All right. Luke 10, 25 through 37. 
Then an expert in the law stood up to test him. Okay, listen, this is after the event we had, you're about to see. Why? Because he answers exactly what Jesus said from the first interaction. And he thinks he's slick. Okay, y'all, they're still trying to catch Jesus in his words. Why? Because so far Jesus has shut every single person down who's asked him a question. All right, they are intent at catching Jesus in his words. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so Jesus says, okay, you're an expert in the law, so let me ask you, what is written in the law? He, said, he asked him, how do you read it? He answered Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replies, you've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. (laughs) Verse 29. But wanting to justify himself. All right, I told y'all, this man thinks he's slick. Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Y'all, what I love about Jesus is Jesus cannot give a simple answer. (laughs) Jesus is like, I'm going to make you dig for this one. So let's get into what Jesus says. Jesus took up the question. What does that mean? Jesus says, okay, I'll take your challenge. Let's get into this one real quick. And said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, y'all understand, these are their holy men. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So pause, what is Jesus saying in this story? There are two holy religious men just passed this homie by, and he was a Jew. They saw him on the ground, and they're like, nah, I ain't touching that. Look at him. I ain't about to get my hands dirty. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. Pause. Does anyone know how much Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews? Y'all, that, that's a family battle for the years. This is why when Jesus goes to the woman at the well, the disciples are like, why are you with a Samaritan woman? What in the world? And so Jesus, (laughs) Jesus doesn't just use some random character. Jesus uses one of their biggest enemies as a portrait of good in this story. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. Who did he come up to? The Jewish man. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, y'all, which was about two days' wage. All right, so this man took out two, two days' worth of paycheck, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. All right, Jesus tells his story. All right, so the Jewish man's robbed, which the, the law keeper probably thought that it was Samaritans who jumped him in the first place. And Jesus says, uh... A Pharisee and a Levite walk by, and they just pass him by. But then a Samaritan comes and takes care of him. And in verse 36, Jesus says this, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Verse 37, The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. Let's reassess this story. Jews' whole concept of neighbor was other Jews. Jesus then tells them a story about how their own holy man did not help their own neighbor. They passed him by. But a Samaritan who they would have considered wicked and nasty and evil comes up, picks up this man, 
Not only does he bandage his wounds, he puts them on his own animal, which means the Samaritan walked. Walks him to an inn. Not only does he put him in the inn and say, you know what, they'll figure it out with him and his family. No, no. He puts him and says the next day, so y'all, he stayed the night taking care of this guy. Next day, he's, he gives him two denarii. That's two days worth of money. Gives him and says, you know what, I'll come back in a couple days. And whatever else you spent, I'll also give you that. So imagine this law keeper sitting here like, what type of nonsense story is this? This what? And Jesus looks at him directly and he gives him three examples of people. He says, which one of these three? Which one of these three? What is he saying? Which one of these three actually love the Lord their God with all their mind, heart, soul, and body by loving the person next to them? And if you see, the law keeper couldn't even say Samaritan. He said the one who showed mercy. It was so deeply ingrained in them, this racism, this prejudice. And Jesus says, go and be like the Samaritan. In the instant of a moment, Jesus redefines neighbor as all people. Neighbor no longer has geographical limits, ethnic limits, nationality limits, no longer who is your neighbor. Every single human being on this planet. In the matter of a moment, Jesus destroys racism and prejudices. The Jesus we serve in the matter of a moment destroyed racism and prejudices. Then why do we see it in the church today? Your neighbor is the person that looks nothing like you. Me and Miss Juana can be much different apart. That's my sister. Someone who doesn't believe anything like you do. Someone who, who doesn't dress like you, doesn't talk like you, doesn't think like you. That is your neighbor. And in the matter of a moment, just through a story, Jesus collapses the pillars of racism and prejudice before our very eyes. Neighbor, I love this. Neighbor love has no ethnic or geographical limits. I need you to write that down. I need y'all to write this. Because y'all, so many of us pass by people who don't look like us. <laughs> Why? Not even trying to. Why? Because we've grown up in the South. It's pretty much innate in some of us just to live this way. So you know what? It's time we intentionally break it. I'm going to say this again. It's time we intentionally break it. Why? Because I'm tired of churches in the South. Yo, this is the most segregated hour of the week in America is Sunday mornings. All white people is not a reflection of the kingdom of God. I'm just saying. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation will bow knee to King Jesus. So you know what? It's time this church starts looking more like the kingdom and less like our culture. Jesus is saying this. I love this. Jesus is saying that loving your neighbor is the ultimate expression of one's love and devotion for God. And can I tell you, I am living this in my life. Love for your neighbor is the ultimate expression of your love and devotion to God. Why? Because this is what this is what first John tells us. How can you claim to love God but hate your brother? How can you claim to love the God you can't see but hate the person right in front of you? And so I'm learning, listen, God is more, and I'm going to say this very boldly, God is more pleased when I love you, Miss Jackie, than when I read 10 pages in my Bible. God is more pleased when I hang out with you guys, edify one another, build each other up than he is when I spend five hours in the prayer closet. Why? Because he is community in himself. We were made for community, not isolation. So what does that mean for us as a church? Boy, we better dive into small groups. 
My small group is starting, mine is three and small group is starting back tonight. Y'all, we were made for community, not isolation. It's time that our focus shifts from the vertical, trending horizontal. We've got to stop copping out saying, oh, I just read my Bible and that's good enough. God is more pleased when you go and love your neighbor than he is when you do your devotional. Why? Because it's easy to sit by yourself and read for 30 minutes. It's hard to go and love someone who's nothing like you. The true, the true and ultimate expression of our love for God should be expressed through the way we love other people. Not religious rituals, not religious duties. Pause and think about the early church. Were they out doing or were they in sitting? Pause and think about this. Paul, who transformed the world with the gospel, did he get to know Jesus and just sit for the rest of his life? Or did he go and do? When Jesus tells his disciples to love one another, he wasn't telling them to feel something. He was telling them to do something. Love is a verb. Love causes action. Let's turn to John 13, 34 through 35. John 13, 34 through 35. This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus just said that he would be betrayed. <laughs> and this, this, this is the time they're gathering around towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And this is what he says. Verse 34, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Pause. Jesus says a new command I give you. They're probably thinking, seriously, Jesus, another command. Like, like 613 weren't hard enough, and we need to see this. They're probably thinking, wow, another command? Man, this thing just got harder. Why? Because they don't understand fully why Jesus has come yet. They think Jesus is another teacher. This is why through Jesus' whole ministry, they're saying, who is this man? Look what he can do. Wow, he's amazing. At some points they say he's the Messiah, then other points they're running away from him. Y'all, they are confused. They don't understand. And this is what Jesus says. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus was not commanding them to feel something. I need to say this again because so often we cop out for feelings instead of action. Next time you feel something, act upon it. So Jesus wasn't saying sit here and just love one another. He was saying allow that love then to motivate you to action. Why? He says love one another as I have loved you. Pause and think about the magnitude of that statement. Think about how they have seen Jesus love people. Jesus weeping over Lazarus dying. Remember the people's response? Look how he loved him. Jesus' feeling emotions of love always acted out in actions of love. Jesus came to shift our understanding of love from a feeling to an action. Love is a verb. And so imagine how, just think about how Jesus has loved you. The reason I came back to the faith was because I had a revelation of what Christ did for me and the magnitude and significance of the price that he paid. I didn't come to Jesus out of fear. I came because I saw his gift of sacrificial love. So pause and think about that. Jesus doesn't say, follow this command and love one another because I am almighty God. No, he says, love one another as I have loved you. 
And in this moment, (laughs) Jesus is not adding a new command to the Old Testament list of commands. Jesus is replacing the whole Old Testament list with this one command. I'm going to say this again. For those of us who are still caught in a place of mixing and matching from Old Covenant to New, this is what happened. Jesus did not add this command to the whole list of Old Testament commands. Jesus, all capital letters, replaced the old list with one. Think about the significance of this. Jesus' one command in the New Testament is that you love one another the same way that he loved you. The mark of a Jesus follower, ready? Your mark, your symbol of being a Jesus follower in the new covenant is not how well you even know your Bible. It's not how many hours you pray. It's not how great your devotional life is. It's not, it's not your church attendance. It's not about how much you raise your hands during worship. The mark, the symbol of a Jesus follower in the new covenant is the way you love one another. The identifying characteristic of you following Jesus is not how much you're devoted just to God himself. It's how much that love and devotion overflows to those beside you. Now in the new covenant, being a Jesus follower is not seeking some God who's out there, up there somewhere. He lives in us. You don't have to pursue, strive, go after him. He's already inside of you. You can pray for deeper revelation of his awareness. I love how Michelle said that. His presence doesn't leave you. You just lose focus of the awareness of where he's at. In this new covenant life, it's not about eyes to the skies worship. It's about putting those beside you in front of you. In this new covenant life, it's not eyes to the skies. I can ignore everyone around me because that's what the Pharisees did. As long as I look to God, I'm good. I'm set for the afterlife. I ain't got to worry about none of y'all. Why? Because God's the only one that's holy. God's the only one that matters. God truly can't care how I treat you. You're worthless. Like, look how holy I am. I'm so set apart from you. The separated ones. Y'all, it's about time we stop calling ourselves the separated ones and integrate ourselves into society and transform those around us. But we have copped out. Listen, we have copped out by coming to church every Sunday. We, we fulfill our religious duty, and then the rest of the week we avoid people because we don't want to have to love them. I have been so convicted this week because we have a lot of refugees in our apartment complex. Do you know how many times I've talked to any of them? Only twice. We lived there for two years. So don't think I'm just talking to you. I am talking to me. So what does that mean for Josiah Hodge? Every time I see one of these people from the Middle East, from India, every time I see them, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to initiate a conversation, no matter how awkward it may be, because, y'all, there's some serious different nationality boundaries here. They're from a completely different world than I am. But the fact of the matter is I, I am a pastor, and I have used Sunday morning to cop out of actually living this life Jesus died for. You, your symbol, your mark of being a Christian is not your church attendance. How do you love people Monday through Saturday? Pause and think about this. Your family, your co-workers, your actual literal neighbors who are right beside you. How do you live out this mission? Do you wear the mark of Christ or do you set it aside after Sunday? 
But the real question is, just because you come to church doesn't even mean you picked up the mark. How are you loving one another in this building? Do you feel loved in this building? If you don't, come talk to me and we'll fix that. Jesus' followers now demonstrate our devotion to God by by putting the person next to us, in front of us. Y'all better write this down because this is called missional living. We got to shift our understanding. Your devotion to God is now demonstrated by you putting the person beside you, in front of you. It's not about you anymore. (laughs) Jesus puts forth this command, the new and only And the thing about Jesus is Jesus, by far, truly, humility personified. And the crazy thing about Jesus is when Jesus puts forth, when Jesus puts forth this command, he does not leverage his God card. He does not say, I am God Almighty, do this thing. He doesn't. And he doesn't leverage his authority over the men in the room that he's speaking to. He doesn't say, hey, I'm far more superior. My moral, ethical standards are higher than yours. Follow what I'm saying because I got it right. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus did not leverage his authority. Jesus leveraged his example. Jesus leveraged his love. Pause. The Jews followed the commands of God because they wanted, number one, they wanted blessings. Number two, they were afraid of punishment. Need you to hear this. The Jews followed the commands of God because number one, they wanted blessings. And number two, they were terrified of him. Why? Because they taught that God is so holy, there's no way he can meddle in human affairs. He doesn't care. Y'all, you got to study some Jewish history and understand how far away God was from them. The only people who actually entered the temple were the priests, were the holy people. Us normal folk, we couldn't even get near him according to their standards. So according to their standards, you follow God. Why? Because he can give you blessings and one, he can tear you up. But that's not the God that Jesus shows. Jesus doesn't say, follow this command or my my father's going to get your behind. Or follow this command or you're going to be blessed, wealthy, wise, right? The whole prosperity gospel. He doesn't say none of that. He doesn't leverage any of that. He leverages his love. Okay, we're jamming now. Praise the Lord. We're having a worship session. Who does that? What pastor does that? He like breaks out. Is that Prince? Breaks out in like a mid, mid-church worship. Anyways. <laughs> the men in that room would not see Jesus seated on a heavenly throne. They would see Jesus hung on a Roman cross. Pause. The men in the room would not see Jesus seated on his heavenly throne. They would see Jesus hung on a Roman cross. Think about this. His whole command is anchored to his sacrificial love. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. I don't have it up there. Just write it down. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, my Lord, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why would the disciples follow this command? Why should we follow this command? Because he loved us first. 
while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. But not only did he love us first, he loves us best. I can't tell you some days I wake up, y'all, I'm struggling. We got two little ones. I'm exhausted. There's a lot going on church wise. And I wake up, I'm exhausted. And then I feel that love flood me. Why would they follow this command? Why will we follow this command? Because he loved us first. Before the foundations of the world, he saw you. Jesus was always the plan for you. Not only that, because he still loves us best. (laughs) This new command is so far less complicated. Why? Because there's one instead of 613. But can I tell you, it's so much more demanding. Why? Because now I can't cop out and say, oh, I'm worshiping God I can't see and that's good enough for everyone. No, no, no. Now we demonstrate and authenticate our love for him by our love for them. And now out of an overflow, do you know how I can tell when people just truly are just in a place of awe and wonder of God? They love those around them so well. They love those who are not how, not how much do they know the Bible Not how well do they sing or how well they can pray, but how well they love those around them. The litmus test, the bona fide litmus test for a Jesus follower in the new covenant is how well do you love those around you? How do we love like this? One, we follow the example of Jesus. Two, by his spirit. And number three is because by loving one another, Our love for God is demonstrated. I need us to to understand this. It's demonstrated, authenticated, and strengthened. So one, how do we love like this? By the example of Jesus. Do you understand? Jesus came to set the standard for us to live to. Not a standard we could never get to, but by his very spirit, we can now live to the standards of Christ. So one, we follow his example because his teachings are beautiful. Y'all, even atheists love the teachings of Jesus. Number two, by his very spirit, he is so lovingly poured out on us. The spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. And number three is this, because you truly want to show your love to God, well, guess what? Your love will be demonstrated, authenticated, and strengthened by loving those around you. Why? Because it's easy to say you love a God you can't see. It's really hard to love the person beside you who's a real hot mess. And by loving the person who's a hot mess, you can easily love a perfect God. (laughs) So my exhortation as we finish up week one, and I pray this has meant something to you, as my exhortation for you for this week is this. Go out of your way to love this week like you never have before. Be so intentional about every chance you get to have a conversation, every chance you get to open a door for a coworker, to pour them a cup of coffee, to take out the trash, whatever you can do to demonstrate and authenticate love, go out of your way. Every chance you get, look around and put the person next to you in front of you. And I'm telling you, when we make this a habit, when we are intentional to love those around us, I guarantee you will find yourself even loving the Father more. And it's time we as the church stop copping out and saying, oh, well, Jesus' standard is, is just too high. It was just, he said it so we can understand he's holy and I'm not. No, through his spirit, you are now holy as he is holy. 
That's why scripture says, be ye holy as the Father is holy. They would not give you a command if you couldn't live up to it through his very spirit. But the fact of the matter is we have not come to a deep enough revelation that I'm now his temple. Will you please stand with me? You know what, Marcus, will you come pray for us? Dear gracious and wonderful Heavenly Father, God, we just want to thank you for this day. God, we thank you for who you are. And that shift, that shift that is going to take place in our minds, Father God, to love like you, to be like you, to have people see you inside of us. So God, I just pray and ask today, Father God, that this word did not land on uh, unfertile ground, but it lands on fertile ground and produces a good harvest. That the people that they leave out of this congregation today, they leave changed and meditate on that word and know that when they're in the marketplace, that they will go about trying to be more like you and less like ourselves. God, I pray and ask today, Father God, that each and every person that's under the sound of my voice, if there is some kind of affliction in their body, if they're, if they're battling a physical ailment, if they're battling depression, anxiety. Father God, you are the God that heals. You are the God that restores. You are the God, Father God, above all gods. You are the one. So God, I just pray as we walk out of this congregation today that every step we take, let the very residue of your Holy Spirit impact lives, impact people we come in contact with, it, whether it be at the grocery store or whether it be at work. And God, I just want to pray and ask today, Father God, you will bless this congregation indeed. Lord, I pray and ask you enlarge their territories, that you will keep your hedge of protection about them, that you will keep them from evil, that it harm them not, and let everything that they do give you glory, praise, and honor. For all God's people said, amen. All right, Pastor.